What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, very, very special guest, Anthony Piper, creator of Trilly. Appreciate you being here. Also, writer and artist for Marvel and does a boatload of other things as far as character designs for Netflix and many other animation studios. I appreciate you being here. This is this is big for me. <laughs> hey man, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. So to get right into it, man, um, if we if if we want to come out clear, um, Trill League, of course, being when it first dropped in about like 2014, if I'm correct. Yep. Um, I remember the old days of Instagram when people were pretty much um putting their books out for the first time. It was probably one of the first indie books that I would say a lot of people draw drew their interest from. Mm-hmm because of the art style and pretty much if, if I want to take it incorrectly, because they were, they were seen as caricatures or parodies of a lot of DC characters. Um, yeah. If you, if you, if you care to elaborate, what was the inspiration of, of behind you creating Trill League for the first time? All right. So when, with Trill League was kind of like a lightning in a bottle incident, you know, it wasn't anything that I had actually planned out. Um, Essentially, what had happened was prior to me creating Trill League, I was an aspiring artist trying to, you know, find my way into the animation industry and the comic industry. Uh, um, however, I was just doing like a lot of independent work, doing a lot of uh, mixtape cover work, illustrations and stuff of that sort. And I won't get too too much into the, the details of what led me to like kind of being in like a really low spot, but basically um, I had moved to California. Um, Things didn't kind of pan out the way I thought they were going to as far as me pursuing a career in the industry. And then I had to end up moving back to Chicago. Mm. And so I was hustling, you know, from from home. Basically I had lost my car, lost lost a bunch of stuff. The only thing I came back with from Chicago, from California back to Chicago was uh, my computer monitor, my computer and my drawing tablet and a couple of clothes. So I was intent, you know, to hustle. Hmm. And so essentially I had got a project. Um, I got a project around the time. And mind you, so at this low point, the reason I had to bring that up was because I was watching a lot of stand-up comedy at the time. So that was kind of, you know, bringing my mood up and stuff. So anyway, I was waiting for a project at the time. The project didn't come through. So I was like, all right, man, you know, I got uh, some free time on my hands. Uh, I'll try to draw something. So at first I initially had drew uh, Marvel characters in like hip hop attire, mm. just kind of remixing them. And then I was like, well, you know, I was like, this is kind of too easy. I was like, you know, everybody kind of does that. I was like, let me do DC characters. Cause I think DC characters kind of exist in a different realm than Marvel characters in terms of uh, alternate um, artistic interpretations, right? So when it came to DC, I was like, well, you know, you could put them in hip hop attire, but I was like, these characters, you know, in terms of their designs and stuff like that, it doesn't really work in terms of putting, you know, Bruce Wayne in hip hop attire, mm-hmm. at least from my standpoint. So I was like, yo, let me just turn them black instead. So the first thing I did was I turned Robin, who was one of my favorite characters at the time. Well, not at the time. I mean, he's always been one of my favorite characters. Um, I had drew him as, you know, as a black kid with a high top fade, just had him doing like some funny stuff that black kids do. And I didn't think anything of it, posted it online like I usually did with most of my work and woke up that morning and it just happened to go crazy viral. Like I got the most shares of any of my work that I've ever done before. So I was like, oh, okay, I was like people responding to this. I was like, people like this, you know, they were like, this is kind of humorous. So 
the next character I did was I did uh, Green Lantern, but I did him as a pimp, you know, and I had him, you know, doing, you know, the 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 um, the activator curl, you know, one of his project projectors projections. Um, I had him doing it, you know, the slap pimp hand, and that went even more viral. So I was like, oh, okay, I was like, I got something right now. So I just decided to, you know, because of how people responded to what I just kept building upon it. And, you know, from there, I just kind of filled out the whole cast, you know, kind of just taking inspiration from, you know, Black film, uh, you know, Black comedy and stuff like that, personalities that we knew and stuff of that sort, and just interjecting them into, you know, these characters that we, we knew. And that just kind of was the genesis of it all. Man, look, I'm going to tell you, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it again. This was this was the old Instagram, the the place where basically... You actually had a little bit of time to grow. You didn't have to worry about algorithm or anything. Pretty much everything was kind of organic. Yeah. So when you started putting all these uh, these character designs for Trill League up, shit caught like wildfire for a lot of us. So especially a lot of us that that, that read comics. So when I say it was like one of the first ones that I got to re, uh, got to look upon and have like something favorable in uh, independently aside from the big two, like. That meant something and not opposed to the fact that it was a black comic uh, comic book creator behind all of it in, in the landscape of it. So then like we we were looking at it and all of a sudden like uh, episode one was going to drop uh, through the first Kickstarter. And I remember um, me and a, me and a friend of mine were basically um, looking to get it for the first time. And we were like, we didn't really like read graphic novels. We were like, you know, we were like almost not not really like opposed to them or anything. We just were so used to 22 issue comics, single issue comics all the time that we never really like picked up a graphic novel for the first time. So it was like, damn, like there's there's so much in here. And the thing is, it's funny. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dark humor in it. The artwork's dope. And it's done independently. So it 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 brought on a new sense of structure to where you felt like you loved it and you needed to support it. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, the 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 whole process of creating Trilly has just been kind of me discovering, you know, a lot of my uh, interests that I've had as far as you know artistic pursuits. Because I mean, I grew up in a living color era, you know. Yeah. That, you know, and I mean, anybody who grew up in that era, you know, you read my comics, you can kind of see it, you know what I'm saying, in terms of like how I arrange skits and stuff like that. You know, of course, the Def Comedy Jam, uh, Martin and stuff like that. So, man, uh, you know, when I was creating these characters, you know, I was kind of p- putting a humorous spin behind them. But then when I started to kind of write these these little one page comics, mm-hmm. that's really kind of how these characters started to become more fleshed out, you know, and um the comedy that was derived from them, you know, I, I felt like every character kind of brought like a, a certain, a, a certain flavor to truly, you know, cause I kind of felt like, you know, Sparrow, you know, at the name, you know, at the time his name was Trill Robin. I felt like, you know, he kind of brought that, you know, sort of immature childish sort of comedy that you get from like, you know, Bart Simpson, you know, Riley, mm-hmm. um, Stewie, you know, uh, Cartman and stuff like that. And then, you know, you had um, Black Man, who I felt kind of made the series more political, yeah. you know, in the sense that, you know, the, the social commentary that we could talk about, you know, with racism and stuff. 
Uh, and then Big Banks, you know, he kind of brought the hip hop edge to it because, you know, I was bringing in, you know, you never seen, you know, a music producer, you know, as, 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 a, as a villain, you know, for a series. So I just kind of felt like all these characters kind of, you know, I brought them in and they just gave this series a, a different flavor, you know, to make it something special. And when they came to episode one, particularly, so I had did that Kickstarter with the intent just to do, it was to do one comic. You know, at first I was planning to do just, you know, a standard 20 page comic. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. a couple of things transpired once I had moved back to California. Um, one being that I got in contact with a brother named Jermaine Johnson mm-hmm. and he's now my manager. And he was the one who made the deal go down with 50 and uh, Quibi and Lionsgate. Uh, but when I first met him, when I moved out here, you know, he asked me one thing. He was like, uh, have you ever thought about writing for TV? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it never crossed my mind. You know, I never I never thought about writing for television at all, even though when I was younger, I used to always think about skits and stuff of that sort, you know, watching, like I said, The Living Color, Mad TV, Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I used to always, you know, think of skits and, you know, talk to my friends about them, like, yo, man, you know, we, you know, acted this out and did this. Um, but I never knew how to pursue that, you know, it never crossed my mind. And so when he asked me that, I was kind of like, oh, okay. If you think I can write, <laughs> you know, and at the time I didn't know anything about the company that he worked for, which was three arts. And that, you know, I had went back home and researched them. I was like, oh, so this is the company that, you know, you know, produces Insecure, it produced Martin and produced Silicon Valley. So I was like, oh, maybe, you know, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, if somebody at this company is thinking that I could write, maybe it's something I should take serious. Right. So mm-hmm. You know, episode one, particularly, I started because I had produced episode zero. Um, and I still had two more books, I believe, because that was part of my my uh, stretch goals was I think every I think like 7000 I hit, I was going to do another book. Uh-huh. So I was so I had two more books on the line. But then when he had put that in my head about writing, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should pursue this writing, this television writing thing. So. Over the course of those three years, I had, you know, a lot of stuff had transpired. I had started working for studios. I was starting to get all these jobs. I was writing for Marvel and stuff. Um, however, I started to think like a television writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I was starting to study TV and stuff like that and how to structure scenes, how to get in and out of a scene and stuff like that. So essentially what I was doing was I was taking all my, you know, taking everything it is I was observing about television writing and I was putting it in episode one. Mm-hmm. you know so that's why that book is so long right you know? okay dope so sparrow black man swole man wandisha tam tam basically trilly looking like uh, uh of course a uh a caricature of the justice league mm-hmm. now essentially um there was there was a bunch of pieces that were that were given towards the kickstarter like i remember there was uh there was even a web comic uh that that, that was around that as well, correct? Around a Kickstarter? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had a few web comics out. You know, I had a couple of one pages, which I call my drops, which right. are like, you know, the little one page comics that I do. You know, sometimes I'll put like, you know, celebrities in there, you know, of that sort. But it's not like a full fleshed out story. It's just kind of like me, you know, taking a joke and putting in a couple of panels. Okay. Got you. So essentially, right after episode one, the adaptation came. So it was like, uh, 2000, 2019, um, maybe like uh, four years after we started to get our first glimpses of Trill League, 
essentially uh, 50 Cent uh, being the executive producer. Quibi was, of course, going to adapt uh, Trill League into a animated series. And pretty much we were going to see Trill League on not only on on the TV, but we we're going to see it on our phones because Quibi was, of course, uh, digitized to where you could watch yep. um, programs throughout throughout your phone or your tablets or anything like that. They were more so formatted in that way. So us seeing that for the first time was kind of like also in that same breath. The first time that we saw a black independent comic book creator uh, adapting something uh based off based off an independent comic book publishing company so it was it was like in essence it was a big win you know we were like damn let me see Tr-. for one comic book readers like myself we were like damn we they got them so we ain't, we ain't gonna get episode two <laughs> you know what i'm saying but essentially we was happy nonetheless because okay we we're gonna see it on tv it's gonna be like it's gonna be like our version of boondocks mm. boondocks being early 2000s and we're going to get truly basically in these la- latter end of like the, the, the late 2000s. And essentially, um, Quibi, uh, Quibi, unfortunately, uh, f- uh, folded, mm-hmm. which then led to us, um, which but then we saw this, the CU get picked up by Marvel. And it was like, fuck, we're never going to get Trill League episode two. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, it got me dropping everything. I was like, damn. I was like, damn, we are never going to get episode two. That's how mad we were. So, mm-hmm. like, in the end, it was like, um, it was something that we were we were looking forward to. But then again, it was it was something that like, uh, essentially. We were like, we were happy for you because as a creator, we saw the fact that, you know, you were going to write for Marvel and uh, the the adaptation, even though even though it, it fell through, it was there. So it yeah. was like it was go- it was going to happen in the long run anyway. Yeah. So. Um, you started to do character design for animation companies, you started doing stuff for The New York Times, you started doing stuff for Netflix. And at the end of the day, it was like, okay, he's been writing and doing artwork. It's not like the guy's not busy. So it it works out on all ends. But do, do you feel in the midst of all this, did you know that episode episode two was actually going to happen? I mean, I always intended for episode two to come out. Um, however, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily know if I would have the time to do okay. it just because I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't sure, you know, how much of my time was going to be taken up mm-hmm. in regard to doing a series, you know, as far as being a writer, you know, probably, you know, having planned a hand, you know, in animation production too. Um, so I just wasn't sure how much of my time was going to be taken up because of course, you know, once you release something in a particular format, it's kind of hard to go back. I mean, that's kind of one of the things it is that I I, I won't say I regret mm-hmm. in terms of the format of that book, because I think, you know, I, I think the format of that book, episode one particularly, uh, it did, you know, it, it, it exposed a lot as far as like, you know, my, my style of writing, you know what I'm saying, my ability to, you know, mix in, you know, comedy with, you know, mystery and intrigue and, you know, yeah. saying go from, you know, you know, lighthearted to, to, to dark in tone, you know. Um, but the only problem is, is that, you know, people going to want more of that. So it's kind of like, I can't True. go, I can't, I can't go to a 20 page issue, which 
no. know, it would definitely be easy for me to, you know, recreate, you know, and do it in my spare time. But it's like, yo, people going to want another 60 page. They're going to want another story in that format. It's true. So that was the only difficult part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I always intended to do another book. I would love to finish out this story. I don't necessarily know if, you know, because we are pitching the series again. Right. Um, you know, the series, and, and this time, you know, it won't be on a, a smaller platform. It's going to be, you know, a half an hour, you know, series on a, you know, a, a big network. Mm. So it's like, that's going to take up more time. So I'm not necessarily sure, you know, if I will be allotted to, and it, to finish it up, which I'm, you know, I've been kind of scouting out other artists to kind of collaborate with to help okay. me finish it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was ample time for me to, you know, just get back in it. Cause I, I had, it's been a while. Like you said, I was working for Marvel. I was working for studios. I was doing a lot of freelance work and I was kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm ready to get back to my characters and stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, these are my kids. Exactly. And even though I'm doing all this work, probably, probably doing like landmark work to where, you know, you're doing Spider-Man. You're doing Jean Grey. You're doing Guardians of the Galaxy. You're doing doing Marvel voices. You know, you're doing all these great Marvel Marvel banner characters and also their their titles. But then again, you know what has basically been happening lately with like the appearance of like uh, uh, digital formats like Substack and even Webtoons and everything like that. You got a lot of like creators and authors from the big two that are like jumping yeah. in to make their own independent comics. It's like, it's almost like the mainstream guys are like jumping into indie for the first mm-hmm. time and, and more power to them. Cause I'm pretty sure that's what they've always wanted to do in the long run. It might be a dream come true to do Spider-Man. But then again, if I'm able to create the characters that I've created, like literally something that was in my head that I was able to put the page and I put that out to something that everybody loves. I can imagine, you know, what that feels like as opposed to like, you know, drawing one of your favorite characters that maybe inspired you as a child. If it's something that you created yourself. Yep. Yeah, Definitely. man. I mean, I, I think it's a great time for, you know, being a creator just because of social media, you know, and the ability to, you know, kind of generate an audience of your own for your material. Cause I mean, that was the biggest thing that was holding people back from doing that back in the day anyway, you know, was the fact that how was you going to get your material out? Mm-hmm. You, know, you had to have, you know, a lot of money in order to print your stuff because that was the only way, you know, people could consume your material. So now that, you know, we have the internet and social media and stuff like mm-hmm. that, it's just so much easier. And I mean, I think it's, a, it's, it's proper time too, just because of the fact that, I mean, we've had these characters, you know, that we seeing on the screen right now for, you know, 60, 70 years. You know, and I mean, granted, it's a lot of stories that need to be told. However, you know, because they're, you know, controlled by these corporations, there's only so many things it is that you can do with these characters because they're going to protect, you know, their financial interests. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to start getting into, you know, darker stories, you know, more adult themed themed stories and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? They're not going to let you do that with those characters, you sure. know? You know, so it's like it's it's perfect timing, man, for you know independent creators to go out there and start creating stuff. Plus, you know, Hollywood's always looking for more stories. You know, I mean, the the whole comic uh, pipeline has sort of become you know a, a way to sell stories now. You mm-hmm. know, which is one thing that I you know I try to tell a lot of artists, especially ones who can write. I'm like, yo, you know, put the time in into creating your you know. Into fleshing out your story, man. You don't. You don't even have to have any intent to finish it. Yeah, it's true. You know? 
you know, I mean, that's what they're looking for. That's that's what a lot of, you know, writers and creators are doing, you know, and even people who work in Hollywood who can't sell their stuff, you know, to the studios, they'll hire someone to produce the comic in order to go out and sell it mm-hmm. because it's easier for them to kind of see the vision. Right. You know, as opposed to if I'm just giving you a sheet of paper telling you what my story is, you might not be able to see it. Uh, however, you know, if I put some pictures behind it, you know, and I can also get some sort of, you know, um, response from mm-hmm. you know, the people, you know, that might entice the studio to be like, oh, okay, now I see what it is you're trying to build. Okay, you know, I right, here's your budget. Right. So perfect timing, man, to start, you know, just, you know, all those ideas you got in your head, man, flesh them out. So what is your opinion on the scale of like, uh, like indep- independent books that are getting that adapted lately? What's my opinion on? Mm-hmm. Well, I hey, more power to the creators, man. Only thing I, you know, I tell, I will tell people is just get kind of knowledgeable about how a lot of this stuff works, you know, go in with the lawyer, you know, um, just, you know, get, get business wise to a lot of this stuff because I, I went in so one of the things is that I I went in not knowing was about this thing called a loan out right and essentially uh, a lot of writers <laughs> and, and producers a lot of people who work in Hollywood know about this concept called loan out mm-hmm. and um, essentially what it is is you, you're building a company that the studio kind of you know basically you know they, they pay the company for your services and this is a way that you kind of avoid, not avoid taxes, but you kind of don't take as big of a hit on your taxes. So when I was starting to get paid for my writing services, man, I was paying like 50% taxes, you know? Wow. Yeah, because, you know, my, my in terms of how they were paying me, my checks looked like that's how much I was making per week. Mm. You know, when it, when it looks like you're making 20,000 per week, you know what I'm saying? If you add that up, that's a million. That means you're, you know, you're making a million plus dollars salary, mm-hmm. you know, which wasn't what I was making. I wasn't making a million dollars, but that's how they were looking at me. So I was getting taxed at the highest bracket. Uh-huh. So, you know, I wasn't taking that. I wasn't bringing that much money. Home. Well, I was bringing more than I was normally doing on the comic stuff, but not nearly as much as I should have been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I got it back toward the tail end at the end of the year. You know, I did my, my you know, uh, refund and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's just one aspect of the game that it is that, you know, you should be knowledgeable about when you start getting into, you know, this, this business stuff. Cause a lot of these people, they're not going to tell you, you know what I'm saying? Like Hollywood mm-hmm. is just kind of like, you know, it's a well-oiled machine that just keeps moving, keep churning. And they're not going to tell you these things. So you have to become knowledgeable about it. So, you know, also get yourself copywritten, you know, get your, get your IPs copywritten, man, you know, uh, trademark isn't necessarily as important, but you know, that might be another aspect that you might want to do. You know, it's a lot of things that, you know, you should just be wise about. And I had to go through the ring. I'm still learning to this day. But, yeah. you know, if you can find somebody that will teach you, you know, about um, how to do business with the IPs, man, you know, you'll go in a lot, a lot better. Mm. Uh, how do you feel about the move that comics are like being created more digitally? Is it is it a good move rather than print or would you are, are you are you uh, in agreement that? the digital wave of comics as opposed to physical prints is like a, is a, is a good thing. Uh, I mean, from an environmental standpoint, I mean, of course, yeah, I think digital 
mm-hmm. it's a lot better. Um, but I mean, some people, you know, they they prefer print. I mean, for, cer- for certain books, I still prefer print. You know, right. uh, you know, if it's one of, from one of my favorite artists, I'm definitely going to want you know, the printed version as opposed to the digital version, especially when it comes to graphic novels as opposed to singles, you know, I'm more likely to get the digital of a single mm-hmm. than the print of the graphic novel if, you know, I want to have an actual book. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a good thing, man. I mean, you know, the the, the less trees we cutting down, um, you know, I, I used to be a collector and I mean, I'm still kind of a bit of a collector, but, you know, after a while having all those books, man, they just take up space. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just being yeah, able true. to, you know, read your stuff. Uh, you saw what just happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, describe to me um, your your relationship, uh, co-writing this with um, with uh, Jamil Saleem. OK, so me and Jamil aren't working with each other now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the experience that I had with him, man, um, I mean, I wish he was still on board for the series. I think, you know, what we created, uh, was great. And I think, you know, with the bigger budget, now that, you know, we were going to have access to a bigger budget and more time, I think what we could have created was going to be, you know, even more awesome than what we created for Quibi. Um, but, you know, I learned a lot from him, you know, he had our, he was already, an experience writing in Hollywood. This was my first time writing, you know, so mm-hmm. you, he, he was teaching me a lot of the ropes, um, you know, but we, we kind of had, you know, we had summer kind of similar comedy styles. Yeah. In some ways they were similar, in some ways they were different, but you know, we were both, you know, from similar backgrounds, you mm-hmm. know, uh, black men around the same age, you know, kind of, you know, inspired by the same things and stuff of that sort. So, you know, we kind of mesh well because that's one of the things about this industry is that there actually aren't a lot of um, black men working in animation, mm. you know, who write for animation, which was one of the struggles that we kind of had was, right. you know, like when we had to kind of find a co-writer for me to work with, it was like, well, you want someone of a similar background who kind of will understand these characters you know what the world it is is you're trying to build right and that was difficult to find it was like yo there aren't a lot of black men writers well first off there there aren't a lot of black writers in hollywood but particularly ones who you know had a love and understanding the animation and he was just one of them you know like uh, when we did my interview process with, you know, Carl Jones, who's behind the boondocks, he was one of the options. And I had already previously spoken to him about possibly coming on board because I'm a big fan of, you know, his comedy style. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of similarities as well in terms of like, you know, what the things it is that we think are funny and stuff like that. But he had already got picked up for uh, the last OG, I believe. Oh, so okay. He, yeah, so he was unavailable at the time. And so we had a couple of writers come in and, um, you know, much respect to the writers who had came on to interview for the process. But, you know, the biggest thing for me was that I did want someone who was black, who could understand these characters, because I wanted these characters to have, you know, um, an authentic voice behind them, you know, especially like a character like Black Man, you know what I'm saying, who's very, you know, um, you know, uh, non-PC with, with his message. You know, I, I want him to be like super raw with how he feels about racism, whether, you know, you can mm-hmm. think of him as being right or wrong about it. But I want him to speak truthfully about how he feels about, you know, race relations. And, you know, sometimes that might be. 
I, I won't say that some <laughs> some white writers are um, yeah. not against it, but you know, I think sometimes it can it, it can come from an inauthentic place because you know they aren't the the ones on the you know uh, bearing the consequences from it. So you know, I, I want us to you know, like I said, just have a level of authenticity with what it is that it, I wanted this series to represent. So Jamil was the best option for that, but you know, things kind of, as, as we went out, we were going to take it out to pitch last year and, you know, he ended up getting, well, I won't put his business out there, but he ended up, you know, something better for him transpired and he had to leave off, you know, but it worked out for the for, uh, best for the both of us. Cause I mean, my co-writer now is great. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil it cause I don't, I'm sure they're going to want to put the pressure out there and stuff like that but you know i've been working with her for the last about six seven months now okay um and you know we just been preparing it and i mean you know her father was a black panther you know um she ha she has some you know tenure in the industry and stuff like that she comes from some well-received television series out there so you know i think it worked out for the best for everyone dope so um how much how much of the how much has Chicago influenced the landscape of Trill League? Oh uh, man, I mean Chicago is all in Trill League, you know. Uh I mean, you know, Chicago, growing up on the south side of Chicago, man, you know, it was definitely and still is today one of the most segregated metropolises in America, you know. And so when I grew up, all I saw was black people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all I grew up around, man. I didn't, you know. You know, I, I can't say anything about New York because, I mean, I've been there, but I had I didn't grow up in New York, you know, but even out here in Cali, you know, you see a lot of different faces, mm -hmm. you know, even, you know, if you're in the poorest areas, you know, you're going to see a lot of different color faces um, in Chicago. That's not the case. You know, all I saw was black people, you know, and so that's what I always felt that when I created a world, I wanted only, you know, majorly black people to occupy that world. And anything it is that I always imagined was always going to be, you know, full of black people because that's the world it is that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. uh, the different personalities, you know, uh, different characters and stuff of that sort. So, um, you know, even the house that I had on the the culturally insensitive cover, you know, that was the house that I grew up in um, on uh, 75th and Kenwood. You know, so I just wanted to bring that sort of. I mean, and I don't necessarily think it's unique to Chicago because I think any, you know, hood in America, um, you know, has that sense yeah, of just, you know, being surrounded by black people and stuff like that. But that's what I wanted truly to be, you know, was just, you know, a world where, you know, you got the corner stores, you got the food and liquor stores, you know, mm -hmm. um, you got, you got your cats hanging out on the corner, you know um just chilling talking you know people chilling on a porch that's what i want truly to be but in a superhero sense you know oh, yeah so as far as the uh the reading order that a lot of people should know when they're when, when they're getting this book for the first time there's the culturally culturally insensitive guy which is basically kind of like the source book mm -hmm. and it's also the hub for episode zero yep. then you then you have uh episode one but it comes with a bonus story called white noise which yep. leads right into episode two. So when you talk about like your TV writing, is that is is white noise uh, the bonus story that's after episode one? Is it sort of I guess like a cliffhanger 
or it's just something that you um or is it like an easter egg that that you need to have in order to read episode two that's that's basically uh, the kickstarter is about yeah i believe you have to read it and i you know i'm gonna make that available for it because you know it was sort of um the way i inserted it was sort of like you know back in the day like when you got a cd mm-hmm. and you will listen to it and you know what i'm saying it would be you know some some space like after you listen to the last track and you know bonus you track kind of, yeah you, you just kind of hear some some white noise you mm-hmm. know and all of a sudden that track like yo where this come from that was how i formatted that book you know what i'm saying like those six white pages in between you know what i'm saying when you get to the end you just like yo why did he put these white pages and then it's like oh it's another bonus it's a story mm-hmm. at the end of it so you know i was kind of creatively trying to recreate that experience you know you get with a bonus track on a cd you know in a graphic novel um but that story, yes, you, you do need to, you, you, I mean, you can, you don't have to go into it knowing that story, but it is best that if you do, because, you know, the whole story is built on Banks and Swole's relationship, their business relationship, and, you mm-hmm. know, why it is he's trying to take out this team, you know, and that was kind of like, you know, the beginning of, like, you understood that he signed that contract, he was signing his life, you know, he was signing his life away in some regards um you know which you know some people kind of maybe correlate to what it is i'm doing with trail league <laughs> so oh, um which wasn't purposefully you know which wasn't perfect it just happened to be a happy correlation um right. but um yeah you you probably do need to read that or you know understand it because the episode two starts straight off with you know um a couple of months after that deal goes down you know and you know what starts to be the fracture of that business deal right so when we when we're looking at big banks of course uh there's an inspiration behind the character he is a super producer who has a lot of money and does a shitload of endorsements and if you're not cognizant of it, it i mean you would just think it's making the band and he's diddy and trill league is the band <laughs> in some ways yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you, you can think of it like that man um yeah i mean that was my inspiration behind it man i um it was a lot of things that went into it as far as one i always just had a love for music i wanted to be you know before i got back into comics i wanted to be a music producer Mm -hmm. um, for like you know six seven years i kind of messed around with making beats and stuff like that didn't go anywhere with it um but that was my intent to was to produce music and stuff so i wanted to bring that element into the series and then when I was creating the villains, you know, I took Lex Luthor and I was kind of like, oh, it's like, all right, well, you know, how would I spend Lex Luthor? I was mm-hmm. like, who would be, you know, the appropriate businessman? And I was like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, uh, Diddy, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I just kind of built on that man. And, you know, I made him a little bit more. I can't say if I made him a little bit more nefarious because, you know, Diddy has <laughs> Diddy has done some dark shit. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, you know, but yeah, he was the main inspiration behind it, you know, um, the saboteur of a lot of careers. So, you know, you can <laughs> so you can kind of you can kind of think of Banks in the same sense, you know, like, yep. how's he going to destroy these heroes? You know, and I think and I think it, it was on some humorous shit, you know, some hip hop shit. But I think it also, you know, over the years, um, you know, just as I've you know grown up and had a chance to, you know, deal with um the entertainment industry and stuff like that you know i think it's going to be a message embedded in there as far as you know the 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 praying of 
the preying on, I should say, of, you know, young black artists, yeah. you know, who come, who come from nothing, you know, and these business people who take advantage of them. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a dope analogy that I'm going to insert into this, this whole story um, about that. So, yeah, because uh, essentially there is a story behind the story, like pretty much when Trill League is being assembled, Big Banks is looking at the group as an opportunity, you know, like, uh, so especially his relationship with uh, Swole Man, because uh, yeah. he gets him to endorse Swole Aid. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's definitely uh, on the appeal of him selling Ciroc out of that. Yeah, exactly. with every artist yeah. that was out. So yeah, exactly. essentially with that, with that deal falling through, you know, Banks is pretty much, um, I'm go I'm going to guess in episode two, you know, it's kind of like he's, th he's thinking of a way to get payback for the failed business deal that happened with Trill League and mm -hmm. is ultimately trying to find out ways to in insert himself internally from the inside out and just like cause their demise. Exactly. I mean, I, and I want to, the thing is, is I also like writing villains as well. Um, because I like getting deep into, you know, um, those characters' minds. And, you know, I, I want to also talk about it from the perspective of, you know, a young Black man who built himself from the ground up, you know, from poverty and invested all his money into, you know, this deal that was going to be, you know, lucrative, not only for him or, you know, maybe his community too, we'll yeah. see. You know, but he banks everything on this deal and somebody backs out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and how and how would you feel from that perspective? You know, it's like, yo, you right. you spent your entire life, you know, building yourself up to be, you know, successful. And, and you go into a deal trusting somebody that they were gonna hold their end of the bargain and they pull out, mm -hmm. you know, and it causes you to lose everything, you know. Right. Uh, how would you feel? You know, so that's the perspective that I want to go at it from, you know, and it's kind of just like I always want to kind of keep it um, gray as far as like, you know. Do you, you know, I don't necessarily know he is a bad guy, but I don't yeah. want you to just see him purely as a villain. I want you to see him as somebody, you know, who's human and it's kind of like I had somebody, you know, messed me over like that. Mm hmm. Or what I do, but you know, he's human and they superheroes. So it's like, how how is he gonna do that? And that, I think that's really right. gonna be the magic of his character and show, you know, how smart, you know, of a person he is, his business sense. He he knows, mm -hmm. you know, like all right, I can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with Superman. So how am I gonna take him out? Right. Cause he's also somebody that pretty much put all his backing into him, put all his chips on the table, and inevitably it kind of messed up his reputation. Yep. So is it, if you do look at look at it from that point of view, it definitely makes sense, even even if it's coming from a villainous background, because, of course, every villain's got a diabolical backstory. So that might be the move. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, man. I, I, like I say, I think a lot of people when they first came on a true league back in 2014, 2015, they kind of thought it was like, you know, this is kind of childish, you know, like. But um, I think the people who, you know, looking for stuff that's a little bit deeper, that's a little bit of a, um, a sort of mirror to a lot of the social conversations that take place in the community. Because, you know, Black people tend to, we, we like deep shit, you know. Um, you know, and I think episode two is definitely going to flesh out a lot more of 
you know, a lot of the conversations that take that, that are taking place with as far as like, you know, uh, you know, people who come from sort of, you know, what we deem bad and, you know, illegal um, backgrounds and stuff like that, you know, the stuff that they do for the community, you know, does that still make them bad? You know, somebody like Jay-Z, you know, somebody who yeah. sold drugs, but, you know, look at all the opportunities that he's providing for, you know, young young black men and women, you know? Yeah. That's stuff like that. Totally true. So yeah. amidst uh, Trilly, there's, there's still also the opportunities where you, of course, are still working with Marvel. Do you uh, do you do you care to expand on like uh, the characters and what you want to dive into still working with Marvel all the while um, putting out Trilly? So with Marvel, I mean, I've been working with Marvel since 2016, 17. Mm. Uh, my first project with them was the Ghost Rider special that I co-wrote with uh, Method Man. Mm. And that was my first project that I illustrated and I just wrote the, the dialogue for the script. He already had the story, you know, arranged and all that. I just kind of wrote in the dialogue for the characters. Well, from then I started writing, um, you know, for X-Men. I was writing for Guardians of the Galaxy for their digital, um, their digital line. And I had took a little bit of a hiatus uh my editor at the time who was the x-men editor uh he was an assistant editor on x-men he had recommended me to nick lowe to write for mouse mm. and nothing nothing transpired at the time yeah. um and it went like two three years before i had heard well we had spoke but nothing basically transpired and then he reached back out to me to illustrate uh i can't remember what issue it was but it was basically a special i think where miles got his new costume mm -hmm. and i was to do like a little small story and he was like well you know this is a perfect opportunity for us to start working with each other so from there i started i wrote for ben riley uh in a spider-man devil rain crossover event mm -hmm. uh, i did uh, what if for miles and then i did another digital issue for peter parker but that was just that was it i wasn't doing anything long term or anything you know in depth i was just doing like these kind of like one shots and stuff like that which has been pretty much the extent of most of the stuff i've done for marvel outside of the uh, run that i did for guardians of the galaxy which i think i did 10 issues mm -hmm. of. uh but other than that yeah it's usually just like little one shots that i do nothing long term because i haven't pitched anything to marvel um if I were to pitch something to Marvel, I can't necessarily say what character I want to do. I, I Patriot, but I would have to see what Patriot is at in order mm -hmm. to like kind of come up with a story for him. And, you know, it's a question of if I wanted to do the art as well, how long would that run be and stuff like that. But yeah, I just, you know, I kind of just take like little small jobs from Marvel here and there. Understood. Now is there, then I'll ask you this, is there any characters that you would or characters within Trilly that you would deem as fan favorites that could more so probably carry on a a single issue series by themselves if there was anybody uh i mean man so in terms of like fan favorites it's it's sparrow than wandisha like yo those are the, those are people's two favorite i think black man could carry a series by himself as well uh, but yeah, those two characters are like, you know, the most beloved. 
Um, you know, I get I get a lot of a lot of love from the sisters that say, you know, they've never seen a black woman like that. You know what I'm saying? Kind of, you know, put in a superhero role. This is you know, right. I, I mean, granted, I mean, you know, we got Storm. I think that and who Vixen? Who else yeah, Vixen got? and recently Nubia, uh, which is and basically the, the the black one. Black woman. Wonder Woman, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, we don't have that many black women, you know, superheroes. But you know, one that represents, you know, black women. You know what I'm saying? And, and some some of the humorous ways it is that black women can be. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as their authentic selves, man. You know, that we don't have that. You know, they they're mostly like kind of like very regal esque. Yeah. You know? You know, in a sense. So, so I get a lot of love, you know, saying for one Disha. And then, you know, of course, Sparrow, just because he's the face of the series as well. Um, with Black Mane, um, he's going to start, you know, I haven't really fleshed him out fully to what mm -hmm. it is that he can be. I can tell you this, when I worked on the Quibi series, he really got more fleshed out. I mean, he will be, you know, he will kind of be the center of the series, you know, okay. for the animated, you know, adaptation. Um, but in episode two, he will be getting more fleshed out. Um, you'll start to see the beginnings of it. And, you know, hopefully I can get to episode three where he'll really get fleshed out. So. Dope. Dope. So um, what is it? There's 13 days left in the campaign. Um, what, what do we see uh, as far as the rest of the year? How's that looking for you? Um Outside of this, I'm sure Trilly's, uh, from what I looked at in the Kickstarter, it's probably going to hit our hands probably around like September of this year. Yeah. But aside from that, aside from us getting getting those books, what is Anthony Piper doing for the rest of the year? Oh, man, I'm, I'm reworking Trilly. You know, uh, I want to do the website just so it's easier for newcomers to kind of, you know, jump on board because, you know, once 50 had got involved, man, you know, I had a lot of, you know, new people just kind of wondering what this was. And so because it just it was something that kind of started on social media. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have any way you know, I didn't have it, it's not organized in a way that, you know, newcomers can kind of, you know, jump in. Um, everything it is that I've built has just been kind of for people who have, you know, jumped in since the beginning of it. So I plan on revamping a website. Um I do have an NFT project that I am working on with a couple of other collaborators as well, um, which, you know, I kind of want to do some special edition stuff for that as well. Um, you know, we're pitching a series and, you know, hopefully we'll have some, you know, some good news that we can release about that. Um, I did a Jason Derulo project last year that I wrote. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I haven't heard anything about it as far as I know it's completed. You know, I've talked to Jason uh, I'm not sure when they plan to release it. It seems like he has something bigger intended for it. So I think maybe, you know, they're kind of like postponing it to kind of build up some sort of hype behind it. So that may get released this year. Um, what else do I got in the works, man? Um, a lot of other little smaller projects, but I mean, most of the stuff is just, most of the year is dedicated to Trail League right now. You know, just kind of building it back up, man, getting it ready for, uh, the animated adaptation uh, and just preparing it for, you know, new people who will just be learning about it 
uh, from, you know, future announcements, you know, so they can just kind of get themselves inserted into it and kind of know what the story is, kind of get familiar with my story mm-hmm. as an artist and, you know, how it is I created this thing and, you know, my journey in Hollywood and stuff like that, man. I've had a lot of people ask me, um, you know, kind of things it is that they need to do as artists and creators about, you know, how to navigate this industry, how to create, you know, a buzz and stuff like that. So that's another thing I want to start preparing as well is just kind of, you know, um, getting things organized as far as like questions and the, the right questions I guess you should be asking is in terms of like young creators, as far as like, you know, how to navigate in this industry and things it is you should look out for. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's anything, if there's anything essential uh, for this new generation of independent comic book creators to know when they're when they're putting their kickstarters together and basically uh, trying to get the exposure needed for them to to basically kind of gain uh, a sense of popularity amongst their audience. What, what how would you say would be the best way for them to go about it? Uh, I mean, when you starting off as an artist, man, I mean, your audience is everything. You know, those are the people who are going to support you, man. Those are the people who are going to share your work. You know, uh, those are the people who are going to be excited by the material that you drop. So, you know, I think the first thing it is that you need to do is as an artist, you know, make clear what it is that you're trying to do with your career. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes people get a little bit kind of ashamed and scared about putting their goals uh, out there. And I think, you know, you should make it well known, you know, uh, because people will get behind that, you know, uh, people tend to support talent, you know, so if they see your talent shining through, you know, they'll, they'll lift you up, you, you know, so, and, and be consistent with it, you know, like let people know that it is that you're trying to build something, you know, uh, sometimes I see a lot of artists or creators, you know, they'll have these concepts you know, which, you know, they, they have the potential to be great. Mm-hmm. However, they don't put that consistency in, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, they might do something here and there. And I understand sometimes, you know, life gets in the way, you know, they got a nine to five or whatnot. Yeah. However, yeah. you know, people respond to that consistency, man, you know, and if they see that you're trying to build something, they'll, they'll get behind it. So that's the most important thing is just, you know, showing your audience what it is that you want to create, I see a lot, a lot of these creators, they go in thinking that, you know, they can amass uh, money, you know, to put out their creation and they haven't cultivated an audience yet. Mm. And, and, you know, and unfortunately, that's just not how it works. You can have the dopest concept. You can have the dopest artwork mm. behind it, you know, but if you don't have an audience, you know, it's going to fall on deaf ears, you know, because they're not interested in seeing it because, I mean, you know, the, the one thing that I think a lot of artists are afraid to speak on is that the art industry in general is very competitive, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you just have to accept that, you know, there's a lot of creators out here pumping out content and it's really good content. And, you know, the thing is, is you want to try to get eyes on whatever it is that you're creating. So, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, man, I would say, you know, try to make it the dopest thing it can be try to, you know, present it very professionally. Uh, You know, if you feel like maybe you're not the best artist, maybe you need to hire another artist, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Or, you know, maybe if you just decide to draw it, you know, 
really ugly, you know, that could work to your advantage as well, too. You know, I mean, it's certain ways to go about it. I think people also need to, if you can get any sort of like um, books on marketing and study that stuff, like one of the things it is that I come from, like, I, I love marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I study cats like Phil Knight and Steve Jobs, you know, um, and, and, and try to, you know, study what makes you attracted to a product, you know, what right. makes you want this particular product? How do they market it? You know what I'm saying? How do they put it out there? How do they present it and stuff like that? And I think once you can kind of get a grasp of that and understand that, you know what I'm saying? You can kind of imbue that into your product and how you present it, you know? It's true. So, now, is there any current or recent indie comic projects that you've seen that you more so have been been impressed by? Uh, so I haven't had a chance to really get to deep dive into a lot of indie product uh, projects right now, man. But the one project that I am very impressed by, and I know people might say that I'm biased because the cat's from Chicago, uh, but it's this cat named uh, Gio Gant. And he oh, yeah. Yeah, he got a project called Beware of Toddler, man. And I seen this cat, you know, uh, he had, I forget his um, his coffee one because he had another webcomic that he was doing um, on a barista. But this one, because he had his daughter. And so he did this comic called Beware of Toddler, man. And I kind of fell off of social media for a couple of years. Yep. Uh, but I was on around the time he created it. And he just recently ran a Kickstarter. And to watch, like, how consistent he's been with that project and how professional it looks, man. I'm like so impressed. I just actually purchased it uh, Monday or Tuesday, but he did a Kickstarter. It was successful. You know, um, it just looks, it looks really good, man. You know, and just to see it evolve. I got another homie uh, named Loveless Melvin. He's actually a tattoo artist down in Atlanta and uh, he has this series called Loveless Cupid. And he's still working on it because, you know, he does his nine to five mm-hmm. um, as a tattoo artist. So, you know, he can, he puts in the time he can on this series, but the concept is dope. Mm-hmm. Like conceptually, what it is that he's creating is dope. You know, it's one of those, well, I ain't gonna say that because I feel like, well, no, I'll put it out there. It's one of those series that if I make it in television, it's one of those things that I'm like, all right, yo, I want to adapt this. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so those are two. Okay, it's it's funny you said Gio Gant because I'm actually he I, he's actually going to be on the show next week. <laughs> oh really? Oh okay, word. Okay, yeah. that's dope. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I uh, I got a chance to talk to him because of course he got he got nominated for a Ringo Award for best cartoonist. Mm-hmm. You know, like the 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 fact that you know it's outside of the box. It's mm-hmm. not you know what I'm saying regardless of comics are comics uh, uh, you don't have to be superhero all the time sometimes you got people that deep dive into sci-fi some people dive into horror a lot him he's yeah. basically putting out a straight webtoon based on his daughter very comedic super yep. funny yep. and it's hitting because he he puts it in, in your face every day yep so it, it definitely works out his behalf I'm, I'm gonna be happy to i'll be happy to tell him that yeah i appreciate that man. yeah let him know yeah. I mean, I had a chance to meet him when I went to, um, I forget that con, man. Oh, C2E2. Oh, okay. I had met him. Yeah, that was my first time meeting him, you know, because we have known each other since like 2007. You know, we just mm. been networking with each other and stuff like that. But we had never actually met each other in person until that uh, Comic-Con. 
And, um, you know, I just been watching his hustle, man. And I'm just like, I'm super proud of him, you know, to watch somebody put that sort of consistency into, you know, their product and just not, you know, to see it evolve, you know, professionally, how he's presented and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but to also see him kind of reaping the rewards from it too, you know, and achieving success from that, man. So, and everything it is that I just said, you know, correlates that consistency, man, you know, that's what people respond to. They respond to that consistency that you put behind a project, you know, and he's been working on that for like three, four years now, you know, Mm -hmm. and people are recognizing it. So it's true, man. Well, Anthony, I appreciate you doing this with me. This was amazing. Um, I look forward to basically, of course, getting Trill League episode two in my hands in September. But I look forward to seeing the the future projects that you got going for you in the future and definitely want to see Trill League get adapted and be on the screen for the first time. I appreciate that, man. We're going to make it happen. Absolutely. And when it does, we're going to talk again. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure, sure. man. So from James Grandmaster Facts Boyce, Anthony Piper with Trill League. We are out.